The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and the continued adventures of the summer of 93 at 30 series. It's the summer of 93 at 30. A weekend by weekend look at the movie re- movies released during the summer of 1993 as always with me from the rap. It is Scott Mendelson. <gasps> Greetings! This week we'll be discussing one of the best kids' films of the 90s and one of the worst kids' films of the 90s and some other film that's so bad that the worst kids' film in the 90s might not be the worst movie of the week. Mmm. Get ready, folks. Oh, also, ready here is from We Live Entertainment Variety, Why So Blue. He's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. He's watching Twin Peaks currently. The host of Out Now with Aaron and Abe, it's not Abe. The other one, Aaron Newworth. I just want you to know, Brandon, you are not alone. <laughs> I am here with you. <laughs> Though you are far away, we are zoomed to stay. All right. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I got a clap from Scott. That's, All right. that, you earned that one, my friend. All right. Today, we're discussing... Uh, Four films released over, well, not all four, but uh, released over July 16th through 18th, weekend 1993. Uh, This is going to be, this is, you know, I, for some reason, on paper, just having the films listed, I was not looking forward to this episode. After watching the films, I'm very looking forward to this episode. So this is going to be, this is going to be a wild one. This is going to be the, you remember... You know, summer ninety three or three. Oh yeah, yeah, but but you remember the Hocus Pocus episode? And it's like, yeah, that one. What I like Here. is that all these films are about family. Family. Yeah. <laughs> in right. many different ways. It's so we it's a variety oh, of family. I said okay. what I meant. Yep. <laughs> Smash that subscribe button. Hit it. All right. But before you do, well, no, do it first, and now we'll head on to the news. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. This unknown amateur rider from Air in Scotland is now smashing the most coveted record of them all. His radical style, his homemade bicycle, the world hour record is going to fall to Graham O'Brien by the end of this lap, there's no doubt about that now. 1.596 kilometers. Francesco Moser's record of eight years ago has gone to a rider on a homemade bicycle. All right. On this day in July 13th, or this week, July 13th, uh, the all-star MVP is Kirby Puckett from the Minnesota Twins, the baseball star game that is. Uh, on July 16th, President Lesuba calls emergency rule in Congo 
Brazzaville. Wow, well. In other news, Michael Crichton would announce the next film adaptation of his would be Congo. Not really, just... That's an ironic coincidence. There we go. Somebody's yeah. eating some sesame, sesame cake somewhere. Yeah. Fun. We uh, actually watched Congo a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. just on a whim, and it's still fun. When you Cut. say we, do you mean like Papa Mendelssohn's like, I'm putting this on, damn it, and your kids are like, what? Actually, yes, because you know that Ethan is a fan of kaiju and that kind of genre, and I've, he obviously loves the Jurassic pictures, so I thought this would be a natural evolution, and we had a good time with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be, that's on our list, uh, short list of uh, out-and-out commentaries. Potential commentaries. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we've done it by now. We haven't. We haven't done it. We have not. We have not done it by now. Called a major audible. Because, like, you know, uh, I love LA ends in April. So there'd be like, I love the Congo. Couple months. uh, A couple months ago. So, all right. um, Also, that same day, uh, San Francisco outfielder Darren Lewis sets a record of 267 consecutive airless games. Hmm. Good for him. Guessing he didn't make it to 268. 268 Uh, must have been so funny. No. Uh, July 17th, Graham Obrey breaks the world hour cycling record, uh, riding 51.596 or 596 kilometers in Old Faithful at Hamar Velodrome in Norway. Remember, everybody had the shirts like Hamar or, you know, Velodrome. Playing the old run. Yeah. Two men enter, one bicyclist leaves. All right. Um, July 18th, Afghan president. Spoke for yourself. (laughs) Ishaq Khan and Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif resign. Okay. Oh, so they quit. All right. Yeah. And then also that same day, similar news. uh, British Open's men's golf. Royal St. George's GC. Australian Greg Norman fires final round of 64, which is six under par, to win his second open title, two strokes ahead of Englishman Nick Faldo. Yeah, well, that had nothing to do with the previous story. No, that was the point. Uh, All right, right. Uh, now we move on to the the deaths of this week. Uh, Yes. All right, Uh, actor Robert Strong, um, uh, Edwin Rick Baker of Rick's Report and the AIDS Diary. Uh, Dan Eldon, a photojournalist, was killed in Somalia working for Reuters at age 22. Oh, hell. Uh, auto racer Davy Illison, uh, Russian inventor Vladimir Baramin, and producer John Beck. And uh, this week, uh, the birthdays. A couple of Scott's favorites, Korean mm-hmm. pop singer Tamin and uh, Filipino professional basketball player Scotty Thompson. We're born. The record, I've never heard of the Korean singer. Dear God, don't send the BTS people after me. Or do you want them after you? <laughs> Not unless they smash that subscribe button. They smash that subscribe button. Uh, perhaps you could have a, uh, well, at a, some. Oh, finish that thought. Well, <laughs> Scott's already married, so he can't have them <laughs> sing a song at the we- their wedding banquet. <laughs> Because he went for it. That's, that's what he did. <laughs> you are cordially invited to a very special wedding. Now repeat after me. I wee wee. Wee wee. And you wee Tom. Wee wee. 
in sickness and in health till death do us part. Through sickness and death. The bride is calm. <laughs> the groom is cool. And the parents are the picture of happiness. <laughs> There's only one problem. Everyone wants to kiss the bride. Except the groom. What started as a little white lie. Don't you see? This way, Weiwei can stay in the States and paint, and you can finally get your parents off your back. Grew into a performance. This was your big idea. Of amazing proportions. As a married couple, we'll be able to take a big tax break. The Samuel Goldwyn Company proudly presents Weiwei. What do you think you're doing? The most outrageous social event of the season. The Wedding Banquet. The Wedding Banquet, directed by Ang Lee, written by Ang Lee, Neil Peng, and James Shamas, uh, starring Winston Chow, Mary Chin, Ale Gua, uh, Si Hong Lu, or Lung, and Mitchell Lichtenstein. Wait, isn't Ang Lee the guy that made that weird Hulk movie? <laughs> Mitchell, yeah, that that, that weirdo. M- Mitchell Lichtenstein, China's Mitchell Lichtenstein. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, to satisfy his nagging parents, a gay landlord and a female tenant agree to a marriage of convenience, but his parents arrive to visit and things get out of hand. I'd never seen this one before. Me neither. Blind spot. Scott, have you seen the wedding banquet before? I had not. It was also a blind spot. So for me, this oh. is the this was the best movie of the week. Um, right off the yes, top. this one didn't open. This one opened a couple weeks down the road. But in terms of balancing out our schedule, and since it only opened in a couple theaters, maybe just one, uh, played. I moved it to this week, so uh, we're starting so with it. More like the rehearsal dinner then, right? Okay. <sighs> We're on it this week. Uh, so this is an excellent movie. Uh, it's uh, well shot, uh, it's scripted, directed. The acting's a little weaker, uh, but it all together works, I think. Um, and it, I don't know. I was just floored kind of by this movie. I kind of didn't know much about it. I kind of went in as blind as I could, <clears throat> and I was surprised by a lot of it. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, I'm pretty blind on most. Like I haven't seen Pushing Hands. I haven't seen many Drink Woman. So like early Ang Lee, uh, I'm surprisingly haven't caught up on, which is a shame because I really like Ang Lee. Like mm-hmm. even with his bigger swings as of late, as far as his use of technology goes, I I think he's just our best jour- working journeyman director outside of like Spielberg. Um, so it's uh, nice to catch up with his early films. It certainly brought him acclaim. I believe what this and the next one are both like Academy Award nominees for foreign language if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so. he's kind of he kind of he's kind of like a, a zemeckis type where he's like constantly even when he's doing something normal he's still pushing a technical boundary i'd say now yeah, he is. yeah now he's like well, he's I mean, emerged at zemeckis like, like, <laughs> i mean it's not like used cars was doing that you know like it you know you get to that place <laughs> the where ice you, storm in ten thousand frames a second <laughs> yeah it's it's when you get to that place of success I mean, that I'd you can that. do those things so i hear you yeah, yeah. um but no, I, I agree with you. I do like this movie quite a bit. I, I think it's just, I think the writing is its strongest aspect for sure. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And I went in blind. I didn't know what this was. I was just like, I mean, I'll just watch the movie. I'm not going to look into it beforehand. It's like, it's one of Ang Lee's earlier films. I know it's had the share of acclaim. Let's see what we got. 
and it, it like I, I was happy that it felt like he saw a green card and it's like this is how you do this story um and like went really in a different direction with it i especially didn't know especially for a 90s film that it was you know about essentially a gay couple that's mm-hmm. dealing with um, among the other elements that are in this movie and thinking of how progressive that is for you know a a taiwanese taiwanese filmmaker um uh, attacking attacking tack, tackling that sort of story set in america primarily you know spoken in in chinese like it's yeah i like i like the fact that he was able to combine all these elements to make a thematically rich picture that has a lot to say about you know the nature domesticity family uh coupling relationships what have you um it's also quite funny at times oh yeah uh, very much as a comedy drama which i appreciated like it the the comedy registers well when it wants to be funny um and seeing just seeing like tradition come out especially when it has when you're dealing with a lot of like you know uh, people that have emigrated over to america or what have you seeing like what that what that is to like be able to still bring over culture while being in america and dealing with like things like a wedding banquets and like what that means to in a way that i don't generally get to see it it's like mm-hmm. seeing, it, seeing things presented in a certain way so uh, among other reasons, yeah, I know I really enjoyed this movie. Yep, Scott. Oh, I was quite fond of it too. I had never seen it. This was a blind spot, and yes, obviously, it's amusing to see a film in 1993 featuring this subject matter being presented as at least somewhat mainstream picture. And it's like, again, this just goes to my, you know, I know I talk about this a lot, but like we sort of like stopped even trying to do this for a good 20 years in the 2000s and 2010s and we're only now kind of catching up to what was mainstream in the 90s for god's sakes and that's another like, thing too i'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you but like no, no, you're right. philadelphia is like a few months later and that's like the epitome of like it's yeah. about aids and mm-hmm. the the and someone has to die and it's the kind of stereotypical thing where this movie is just like yeah, they just happen to be this way like if yeah if, if he wasn't and, gay and if it like that i can see you know it would affect it but it'd be not a huge difference in like the story they're trying to tell. Like there's ways to make that work still, but it's like, oh, it's and like, three years later you have the birdcage, mm-hmm. yeah. which stars. I mean, apparently he wasn't out at the time, but I wasn't shocked when I found out Nathan Lane was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and again, it just, and I know I talk about this a lot because it's frankly, it's very annoying that we we kind of hit a giant pause button for 20 years about advancing forward in this kind of quote-unquote representation. Right. And I, I'm not huge on the film bros, but the one scene that I just think is awesome is where Billy Eichner talks about how progress was so slow that his parents were, didn't survive to see it. And that, you know, whether he's talking specifically about this kind of thing or whether he's just being very specific to his own lived in experience, you know, again, you know, we were making these kind of films in the early 90s. You know, we were having gay weddings on Friends, that terribly problematic show, Ooh, Friends, in the early fucking 90s. Well, um, they also they also just were allowed to be like, I don't remember, like, we had black movies, we had gay movies, and it wasn't like. It wasn't a you need to support this or you know else. Yes. And there were also at the other end of the thing, there wasn't like a huge protest either. No, the assholes were just like, I'm not gonna go. They would, they just wouldn't go see it. They wouldn't sit and make a huff about it. Now well, you got to you know, make it known. Have, to a certain extent, we didn't have the internet, and more importantly, mm-hmm. we didn't have this weird monetization of the online troll movement that exists today, where it's like yeah. you have. A, 
disingenuous assholes on YouTube that decry every new franchise film as being, you know, I hate to use this word as a slur, but as they do, you know, woke, even though, you know, being woke just means being aware of the world around you, blah, that no, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm not Explain gonna it more, anyway. Scott, please. Thank you. <laughs> what was that? Explain it more, Scott. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you finish that one. But I mean, point being is, you know, it's it's, and the on the other hand, I think whether intentional or not, I think a lot of the big franchise pictures use this this coordinated hate campaign as sort of a deflective shield against criticism. So it's almost a, it's almost a parasitic relationship, for lack of a better word. But point being, you know, when you didn't have that, you had films like Anaconda and Rush Hour and Waiting to Exhale and the wedding banquet and the birdcage and in and out that were just almost casually inclusive. And while some of them made that inclusivity a bigger part of their artistic slash commercial goals, you know, they were also allowed to just be movies. Um, the other obvious point here, and we should talk more about the wedding banquet, but is there was just less options back then. So I mean that too, and that's what that's part of what pisses me off about Hollywood waiting so long to get back in the swing of things is like if they hadn't had their head up their ass for twenty years trying to find the next Hugh Jackman or the next Tom Cruise, you know the diversification that we're kind of seeing now might have actually happened at a time when it might have actually preached to the unconverted where people would have seen this kind of content because there was nothing else on to watch. And now it's so diversified and fragmented and, and that like, it's great that people that want to see themselves on screen, get to see themselves on screen. But I genuinely think we've lost out in having that stuff be almost mandated as mainstream entertainment by people that otherwise would not be watching it. If that makes, I hope that makes sense. Um, but that being said, moving on beyond that, what struck me about the picture is I, when I think of an Ang Lee movie, I think of a somewhat somber affair about people that are very emotionally inhibited who, you know, are doomed to go their entire lives without expressing how they feel about the people they care about most until it's too late. That's In why this that, film. That's, that's why Hulk is your cover banner photo on most of your profiles, right, Scott? Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and. This, you know, conversely is a very, I mean, yeah, there's a certain, pardon the cliche, closeted nature to the melodrama, but you do have characters that are open about their feelings and, and tell each other what they need to know, especially at the end of the movie, when, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a rare Ang Lee movie where people say what they need to say before it's too late. And I found that weirdly refreshing in his filmography. That's, yeah. a, that's actually, that's an interesting fact. Yes. Yeah. That's true. That's I. You know, I, huh. I and I don't know whether they're joking about Hulk, but I absolutely consider that a, a version of oh, that. No, that. That's the no. That, yeah. I was not kidding. That's the I'm just kidding about the idea of you. No, no, I know constantly, but it, no, that's the extreme version of Ang Lee as far as yeah. it's a comic movie. You have to be extreme. Yeah, but it very much is. Well, that's why I'm saying the Zemeckis he thing. He doesn't just do a comic book movie. He does a comic book movie like no one else has done it like before with different visual kind of ideas with his storytelling uh yeah i can accept this back to his uh (laughs) back to his wedding banquet film romancing the stone is no crouching tiger but i hear you right (laughs) uh no this gets into some like it's funny and then it gets it takes a swing into some really dramatic territory that isn't like out of nowhere it doesn't it, it builds as it's coming through because you could see some uh between the two leads of that are getting married 
the looks on their faces of like there's no words, but there's such a like guilt and disgust in themselves and what's going on, but still having to keep a charade that's kind of kind of incredibly put on here that that doesn't feel out of the ordinary and then things just take this downturn and there's this awesome moment that i like that after it's everything's gone to shit and then he finds out his father's in the hospital he had a stroke and then it's when he's entering the hospital in the hall lee shoots it like it's like a incognito horror movie as he's walking until he approaches his mother and then the aesthetic kind of goes right back to this movie we're in but I was like, I was amazed at that. I was like, oh, wow, this is really taking this new visual cue that kind of just went up to the mom. Um, but, man, there is a lot of good scenes with you know people talking together, uh, you know, a believable conceit where she gets pregnant or whatever. It's like, OK, but it, it like keeps things keep getting worse and not better because of this charade rather than just telling everybody and getting, and it gets worse in some darker ways. And then they have this huge wedding ceremony that you're just like, Oh my God. And this is all, <laughs> and I love how th- there's that table with the gay friends that they're all kind of like, mm-hmm. but enjoying their time, the whole, the whole thing. Um, and there's a great scene with the father and the boyfriend. Toward the end. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They share things. But then I also thought about it after this movie. And I was like, his parents, even though they were both pretty acceptive, suck. Because <laughs> they knew. <laughs> the whole time they know about it, they're just like, but we still have to have our goddamn banquet. We could just say, like, they could. It, it just, I don't know. That was kind of It's uncharted territory, though. Yeah. It's like, that's the yeah. The, and you know there's a whole rigmarole to get to this place to be yeah <laughs> okay. right it's kind of and this one kind of has the new york feel of like an ed burns movie a little bit i don't know if he was quite at this state i don't know edward when did brothers mcmullen come out 95 i think, okay, later, so he, I think. he wasn't there yet so ed burns movies have this new york that kind of feels like this this movie's new york um and i, I don't know it's this is like a high recommend if, if someone's never seen it. Like I really, I didn't see this coming that I was going to like be like, Oh wow, this and, is amazing. I mean, I was, well, yeah. Cause I mean, the third act just seems to go really into, you know, soap opera plotting. That's yeah. not an insult. It works. No, yeah. But it's, it's sort of like, you think, you know, how the story is going to end with, you know, everybody having their big confession and oh, it's okay. Cause we love each other and we're family. And, and there's a little of that, but it takes a couple figure eight turns to get there. Well, it has the one where his father can't travel because of his blood his yeah. like blood pressure or something, and that's something I didn't see coming. And then it's really taking its toll on everybody. It's like the boyfriend's like, "Fuck, I'm going out. I'm gonna go get me some tail from somebody else who's not married to somebody." Um, but I really, you know, like it's interesting because you see like everything turn on everybody for these like wishes that they had like, yeah, can I just get my parents in and out of here, make them happy in a charade. And this girl's like, well, I'll have my rent paid. Like I'll get my green card. Like was the green card worth all this, you know, (laughs) like that's kind of what it shows through all that, but it's, yeah, this is a fantastic little movie here. It needed about an extra hundred frames a second. Yeah. It needed a cameo from Andy McDowell and, and Gerard Depardieu. Like that was really <laughs> every movie five. needs a cameo from Gerard, Gerard Depardieu. Depardieu. Yeah, yeah. Especially, Especially if they're like set on planes. I mean, 
I, I joke, but Billy Lynn's half tie long, half time walk just blew my mind when I saw it in 120 frames back in 2016. I mean, the thing oh. that I'll say about that movie is the actual walk delivers. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. It's, yeah. like, it's a long walk. <laughs> a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah, the war seeds looked a little fakey when I saw it with the Vin Diesel stuff, but yeah. Um, but no, it, it felt the it's the closest I've seen to like virtual reality movies in a skewed way. But anyway, that's yeah. not that's another time. Gotcha. Yeah, talking bit, like just wrapping up on this movie, like yep. I, Brandon, I agree with you. Like I wouldn't say necessarily it's a surprise. I'm like, well, it's an Ang Lee movie. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, but yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying, but like it just it, it made me happy that it's like he's just always been very good. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm more I'm more excited to check out Pushing Hands and um, Eat Drink Man Woman now, right. just just to be caught up on all of his films. I you know I I don't necessarily need to revisit Ride the De- Ride the Devil. What is it? Ride. Those are the yes. fire Skeet Ulrich. I oh, believe yeah, it's yeah. called. Uh, I think ride, you're right. Ride yes. the devil, or is it? Because it's ride with the right. devil. No, that's I the, think it's the, ride the, the devil. The, I think it is that's, ride that's the, the devil. Because uh, ride with the devil. That's the. Um, yes, the ride with the devil Peter in 1999. Movie. That's the Peter Fonda movie. Oh, it? It is ride with the devil. Yes, with Jeffrey Wright, Toby Maguire, Skeet Ulrich. Um, is it the same title as the Peter Fonda movie? Then Starring, I don't know. Oh, Jewel is in it. I remember yes. that. I remember that it was a big deal because Jewel was in the movie, and Don Shanks, uh, Michael Myers from Halloween Five, as George. He was in that movie. So no, the the no, I don't think there is a movie called Ride the Devil. What am I think? What's the has devil in the title? The Peter Fonda one, where he he's in an RV and they're being chased oh. after by a cult. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, ass movie. I cannot race with the devil. Race yeah, with yep, the devil. That's it. Yep, 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 very yep, similar. Yep. All right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about there. So okay, cool. Um, but yeah, that was uh, the wedding banquet. Yes, currently when we watched it, it was on Hoopla. Maybe it's still there. Uh, and because, because it was like the first or second week of the summer of 93 podcast, I will note that I am beyond psyched for whatever the hell Ang Lee has up his sleeve for a Bruce Lee biopic. Yeah. Um, is it this episode, the epi- the first episode of this before we watch that movie? <laughs> mm-hmm. Rather than just rewatch it or, the, or whatever, Dragon the Bruce Lee story, we'll just listen to this podcast. That'll make mm-hmm. a lot more sense. And we, and we can say that Brokeback Mountain was not his first rodeo. Not at all. <laughs> Oh. like and subscribe all right so we move on now to the television ratings for this week in 1993 wednesday a new mystery a lethal love triangle catch the killer plus america's loch ness monster we have the video and pictures unsolved mysteries nbc wednesday what were people watching on tv of course home improvement number one uh, <laughs> home improvement <laughs> This oh home improvement beat the major league baseball all-star game on CBS. Oh, it was out. likely a rerun of home improvement too. Suck it, baseball. Uh number three, <laughs> primetime live on ABC, followed by 2020 on ABC, 60 minutes on CBS, unsolved mysteries on NBC coming in at number six. Yeah. Solved. Taking in those summer ratings. Uh Some number unexplained six. deaths. Yes. Heck yeah. Love it. Uh, number seven, uh, Roseanne on ABC. Number eight, 48 hours on CBS. Number nine, Murder, she wrote on CBS. And number 10, a TV movie called With a Vengeance. It's, uh, it's about an amnesiac nanny and her love struck employer 
try to follow the clues leading into her past, little suspecting that a serial killer is already waiting at the end of the trail. It's directed by Michael Switzer and stars Melissa Gilbert, Jack Scala, Matthew Lawrence, Michael Gross. And, uh, yeah. And Jen- that- Jeremy Irons is the nanny? No. no. <laughs> but, yeah, that was uh, Roger Aaron Brown in it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, it's a movie. It's from 1992, so it was a rerun of a television movie. Take place in the top ten. Very, very popular. Something that does not place in the top ten this week is our next movie, Benefit of the Doubt. I spent 22 years in prison. What's his name? Frank Braswell. He walked two days ago. Where did he walk? Ma'am, we can't give out that information. That'd be a violation of his rights. Right. Well, what about my rights? I can keep him off your property, but I can't keep him out of town. Beyond the fear. He's coming after us. I testified against him. He said, Daddy won't forget this. I saw him today. You see him coming, you run the other way. Promise me you'll stay away from him. Beyond the questions. What does he want from me? I want you to leave us alone. It was an accident that night, baby. It didn't happen the way you think. And beyond the suspicions lie the facts. I think I'm a snake, Pete. Donald Sutherland. Amy Irving. Graham Greene, Benefit of the Doubt. And when you buy two units of Benefit of the Doubt, take advantage of savings up to 11%. See your distributor for details. Directed by John Heap, written by Michael Lieber, Jeffrey Pullman, and Christopher Kaiser. This needed three writers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, They clearly did not... uh... Uh, uh, share each other's work. Yes. It does feel like three movies at times, so that's yes. that <laughs> uh Starring Donald Sutherland, Amy Irving, Ryder Strong, Summer of 82 alum from Grease 2, Christopher McDonald, Graham Greene, uh, Gisela Kovach, and Patricia Tallman. A convicted wife murderer returns 22 years later to seek revenge on the daughter who helped convict him. Um... That's not an accurate plot description. That is not. Um, that's not one you would want to put like in your. You would want the synopsis to be a little bit more. Uh, vague. He tries to reconnect with his estranged. Tries, <laughs> you know, should she give him the benefit of the doubt? This movie is not the best movie we watched this week. It's not the worst movie we watched this week. Uh, eh, okay, but goddamn. <laughs> It's one of the most entertaining movies we watched this week. I've been like, I, I told Aaron, I'm like, this, this is some wild shit going on in this movie. <laughs> and then he texted me. He's like, I got to this part. And I was like, holy shit. Um, Scott, we'll start with you on benefit of the doubt. Uh, no. 
Oh, we're not finding the, the secret way that you praise this thing. You're just not into it. Oh, no. man. This is no House of Cards. House of Cards, it's Scott Middleton. It's not a three-star, well-acted melodrama. Come on, this is no fucking Tommy book Lee of Jones Henry, let me tell up. you. Tommy Lee Jones showed up. It was fine. <laughs> no, I did, it's... it's. I mean, part of the problem is, again, the way the film is presented and, you know, there's no <laughs> doubt... You know, haha, the joke title. <laughs> There's no doubt whatsoever that he is guilty of killing her mother and he will eventually turn violent. So the first, and while that might theoretically create some bomb under the table suspense, the film doesn't play it that way. The film wants you to think that, oh, you know, he might be innocent and there's a coming of age drama and, and you know, they're coming to terms with, with the father coming back to their life. But he's so creepy from the word go <laughs> that. I mean, even just the opening narration when he's he's asking for parole is it's you know uh, pardon a silly comparison he's doing Anthony Hopkins lecture when he should be doing Brian Cox lecture, um, <laughs> and because of that you're just waiting and frankly very bored until he finally starts killing people, um, and even then <laughs> he kills one person and then he takes his sweet time before he gets to killing more people. <laughs> And by the time he starts killing more people, the movie's basically over. I guess we're just spoiling this movie all over the place. Then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> That's it. To backtrack, I'm just now picturing Succession Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> and that's just very entertaining to me. Fuck off, Graham. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Tooth Fairy? I'll show you a Tooth Fairy. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, this movie's bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just it's. Um, I mean, I know I say a nothing burger a lot, but that's really what this is. To to quote myself from a few weeks ago, what the hell was that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this movie it goes so far up a cliff the second he pushes Christopher McDonald over. Because for one thing, I I Scott, I agree with you as far as yes, he's not presented in a way where I expect this to just be a straight drama for 90 minutes at the same time i feel like the movie is so trying to convince you of that that it feels so jarring when he actually does take steps to be murderous all of a sudden because it's a hard left turn when like he secluded a person and then tosses him to be shredded in a machine piece and it's like (laughs) okay we're this is this is ramped up exponentially from where we were as far as his <laughs> level of subtlety that he wants to The script, to the director, everybody got bored too. So they- it really <laughs> feels like it. And it's, oh boy. Um, but outside of that, everyone's bad in this. Um, <laughs> Amy Irving's like all over the place of the hysterics. Like it's just, the only person I think is pretty good in this. Are, the only two people I think are pretty good in this are Graham Greene and Christopher McDonald because they're solid yeah. characters. Yeah. I, and, I, and I was especially impressed with Christopher McDonald because he's playing a genuinely nice person, which you don't generally see very often with Christopher McDonald. He generally plays, you know, someone that's either sly or, you know, somewhat something else to or, him. Yeah. Or just a straight up villain here. It's like, I did. I didn't want him to die. <laughs> I didn't want to see him have harm come his way. He seemed like a reasonable person, which was like a nice change of pace. Uh, regardless, though, Sutherland is. <laughs> this is such a. I, I try, is this the end of like Sutherland leads things? He's got what Puppet Masters. Puppet Masters is come out? Puppet Masters is isn't that like this? Is that? It's well, around sort of like I mean, 94? is he the lead or is he just sort of the showy villain? He, I mean, it's a co-lead of him and Amy. Again, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've never seen the film. 
He's got oh, puppet, a lot puppet of puppet scenes. Master. Puppet he's, master, got... he's in. He's in that movie. Yeah. 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 But yeah, this. I mean, even then, that feels like him being like Harrison Ford in Force Awakens. Like, yeah, I did the whole invasion of the body snatchers thing before. I can do it again. Like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of him being like a lead character in a movie like this at any at any point because he's far past. He's past the. 76 symbol status that he that he's that he most certainly yeah had. i mean he's <laughs> speaking of hannibal lecter he's basically playing hannibal lecter in backdraft two years earlier yeah backdraft he's doing that for sure but oh. uh regardless here it's yeah it is just a it, the, the movie is badly made that's the biggest issue like it doesn't know how yes. to juggle any of this in a way that feels anything better than made for TV movie. Like if this was a if this was made for TV movie, it'd be number one in the ratings for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh no, it's one hundred percent made for. TV. Like you said, it's it's so like not campy, just like but bad in a way where it's like, well, I'm watching this. <laughs> like I don't I don't know what to do with the time, but I'm certainly going to stand here to watch it. But yeah, it's it's a mess of a film as far as trying to tell any kind of story that has suspense in it. Um. Ryder Strong's debut film, good for him, I guess. Good for him. Um, I don't know. It's bad. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, this okay. So this director, like he Heap, it, Heap has done like all TV and like shorts. This so, does not surprise me. Yeah, he has one other like feature. He's got a uh, couple others after this, like Past Perfect and Hostile Intent. Uh, so his last uh, thing he did was a. Uh, he's got a short out this year called You're It. Oh, is it a making of tag featuring Jeremy Renner? Uh, it stars Megan Henry. I don't know who she is. A woman worried about her missing boyfriend goes to his house and finds herself trapped by a mysterious entity. So it's nine minutes long. You're it. Um, so th- Donald Sutherland is terrible in this movie. Like it's <laughs> bad. like he's got some horrible line. We're like, oh, don't lock the door. I'll break down the door. And are you nuts or something? Shut the damn door. Uh, he has this opening monologue that sounds like a MAGA speech. Like it's, yeah. I was like, "What year? This is '93," and he's like, "I hate what this country has become," and all this stuff. I'm like, "Okay." Well, falling down was that a few months ago. <laughs> like, uh, <with> what happened? <laughs> so yeah, this movie, like, I was like, "Ho humming on," like, "Okay, he's just like the." So this is a yeah. You guys are not wrong. This is a bad movie, but this is a bad movie. They got me like shocked and giggling at different parts for weird way. Like I had, I was not at some point, like, I think it's the Christopher McDonald gets pushed in the shredder thing that I'm like, okay, what? And this movie does things like it's got that fucking dream sequence slash revelation that I didn't know what was going on. I was like, she's like, it's after Christopher McDonald dies. And like Amy Irving's having this like wet dream about him. And then, he turns into Donald Sutherland in the bed. And then like Donald Sutherland is in the bedroom and like touching her. And it's like, what, what the fuck is going on? And then it's like, okay. So apparently he like molested her. And that's why the mom confronted the dad and he pushed her down the stairs and like, but like that scene is a whole lot of what the, what the fuck's going on here? What you're okay. So it's going all over the place. And then it like, turns into like a desert escape movie and then a boat chase movie and then hide it like it is all sorts of different things that feel like some other movie that got canceled or a couple other 
they already had set pieces built and they threw them into this movie with when it became a boat chase movie for a little bit that's what i that's what i started laughing i was like yeah i I feel like i'm i'm starting to get on the wavelength of this (laughs) like i was like this is fucking insane um and then oh there's a great one where they run through the desert the kid's like mom he killed calhoun amy rick's like but he's not gonna get us (laughs) it's her dad like it's so funny like it she's bad and like oh man it is this movie's so fucking nuts so nuts how nuts I, is it i'll tell you <laughs> i half expected an end credit scene that would like leave it open that sutherland was still alive and out there for another like that's how crazy it is like he kills himself and <laughs> it's so- yeah that didn't quite track I, he's like hang on clips like you know what fuck it never forget me <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back in benefit of the doubts. Like it, this was so bug nuts. Like, I don't think this is one of those like Miami connection, the room no, this is or not a, troll like, tube. Everybody where should you... go for a midnight screening of this. Yeah, no, <laughs> but like the one time, if you're not expecting it, holy shit, it, it is a trip. Like when it gets through there. So I was just, I could like, I was telling, um, uh, somebody about it today i was like because there i was asking about the podcast i was telling about what we're doing i was like oh we got a doozy movie i watched for this one and like i gotta see that i'm like i don't know if you should seek it out because it's hard to find uh there's like no footprint of it like it has no box office presence as you'll find spoiler at the end of the show and like it just yeah it's not worth going to the taiwanese or whatever sites you have to go to then click and get a bunch of pop-ups just for hit and play. But man, I was shocked by at least the second half of this movie was worth watching. But oh man, this is a wackadoodle movie. Like I wow. So it's certainly give less it boring than House of Cards. It has that no, I did. I was fuck, fuck House of Cards. This was this is what this is what House of Cards needed. Instead it had the ah, yes, a, jo- ah, a jolting ah, second ah. half full of murder. That's what it needed. <laughs> <laughs> then it would have been even better. Tommy Lee Jones is yawning compared to what Donald Sutherland's which doing is, in this. Which is basically that's what Book of Henry is. It is a mix of House of yes. Cards. <laughs> that's why it's fucking awesome, Aaron. <laughs> so I guess we got that answer. Hashtag justice for Book of Henry. But I was saying, who was worse? Amy Irving in this or Kathleen Turner in House of Cards? Mm. Probably Amy Irving in this. Yeah, Amy Irving. She has, she has yeah. a lot of arms in the air yeah. acting going on. Guys, is this the last? Is this the last like, like Amy Irving lead movie? No. To be fair, I can't think of can't previous think Amy of- Irving movies. So I mean, I mean, I can't think of another movie with her between now and the Rage Carry Two, that theatrically, between this one and like I just off the top get, of I, my head without I, looking I, on IMDb. I'm not one that can count, call out many Amy Irving movies to begin with. So. Yeah, not big Amy Summer. It's not, no. No. So yeah, Bug Nuts crazy, bad movie, but wow, okay. We did it. Um, We did it. So uh, this one did not chart, but let's go to the music charts for Scott here to talk about the weekly top 40. Casey's biggest hits. Casey Kasem, the top 10 of it, which we have that number one. Week by SWV has taken the top spot, knocking off can't hire. Oh, well, no, what did it knock off? Oh, Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson, that's right. Or no, she was number two last week because she was knocked SWV. off, like you yeah. said. Oh, all right, yeah, yeah, okay. Sorry, uh, UB40, uh, can't help following in love is at number 
two. Remember from our movie Sliver? Yep. Some of these movies making us wish for slivers? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, number three is Whoop, There It Is by Tag Team. I can dig it. Number four, That's the Way Love Goes, Sliding Down, Janet Jackson. Uh, number five, Staying Strong, Knocking the Boots by H-Town. Number six, Moving Up a Spot, <laughs> Have I Told You Lately by Rod Stewart. And then swapping spots with that song is Show Me Love by Robin S. Number eight, I'll Never Get Over You. Parentheses, getting over me by expose. Number nine, jumping into the top 10 from a movie that came out much before the summer of 93 at 30 begins. I'm going to be, parentheses, 500 miles by the Proclaimers, which was oh. made famous by Benny and June, which is not a part of this movie roster we're doing. It climbs up. And then same genre song number 10 Dre Day by Dr. Dre. So of course, yeah. So yeah, that was DJs put them together at weddings and you know, know, Scott, you know what they did on Dre Day? What'd they do on Dre Day? They freed Willie. Fuck. How did I not see that coming? I love, oh. I love there's, a, there's a truck in the distance playing that song. I was like, did you see that whale jump over there? Oh, shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I knew we should come out of here a little more often. <laughs> oh, you think he likes the beats? Oh. I so want to see that version. There's like just a random couple of cars. And like, you see that over there? <laughs> shit. It's not in slow motion. It just just goes over. It's like, did you see that? Are those people in the pickup being held at gunpoint? Is that that Highlander 2's Michael Ironside? They captured a whale with a temper. He doesn't like anybody. And the only one who could reach him was Jesse. Big circles, buddy, big circles! By winning his trust and making Willie his friend. I love you, Willie. All right, boy. Come on, Willie. It made Jesse a hero. Yeah. Woo. Free Willie, Bridget PG, now playing at a theater near you. All right. Uh, Free Willie is directed by Simon Winsor, written by Keith Walker. Slam evil. Oh, man. Evil gets slammed so much in this movie. It really does. Written by Keith Walker and Corey Blackham, Blackham, Blackman, Corey Blackman, uh, starring James, Jason, James Richter, Lori Petty, Michael Madsen, Jane Atkinson, August Schellenberg, <laughs> Michael Ironside, Richard Real, Mechaletti Williamson, or is it McKelty? Michael T. Michael T. Williamson and Danielle Harris. When a boy learns that a beloved killer whale is to be killed by the aquarium owners, the boy risks everything to free the whale. Which, you know, another no, back-to-back movies with uh, wonderful people playing fathers like Michael Madsen. You always, dear old dad, Michael. Eternal energy bounce just beaming off of him. Well, you know, kill this summer, kill the, kill the killer whale before the killer whale kills you. So uh, this one was this was an event this movie back then, and it was bolstered by a Michael Jackson song. Um, And uh, 
before huh? the film came out, Warner Brothers was trumpeting quite publicly that it had the best test screen results of basically any mainstream movie they had ever done. Uh, they knew they had a hit on their hands. Yeah. Um, and spoiler alert, it made a shit ton of money. It, yeah. it could get away with marketing the end of the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> to be fair, I- iconic shot of the whale going over the kid. Uh, and yeah, this movie was a big deal. And it was was it pretty well reviewed too? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Solid so, reviews. I mean, yeah. Good reviews. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I remember I I saw this like we went to the drive-in a lot during this time, but I saw this one at the drive-in. I can't remember what the beast picture was uh, at the drive-in. Better put it out. Better put it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like that. What, what, what later in the summer? Um, I go to the fugitive at the drive-in and beside his sidekicks. <laughs> Ew. That's so Jesus. Yeah. We didn't stay. Um. <laughs> but yeah so aaron uh free willy this would have been like your jam back then how old were you you were like seven seven yeah, seven. yeah. so you've been like this is the best movie of the summer i mean you're not wrong it was my jam back then there i saw this with my mom i'm very yep. i remember this actually quite well but I, I remember seeing it with my mom mm-hmm. um you know i haven't revisited this film in years i had the vhs but even then i still haven't watched that since clamshell like- case right it was, it was special. It was special. I have it somewhere, honestly. Um, but um, no, I, I, you know, I was a fan of it when I was that age in the same way that it's like Jurassic Park was Ross. Like, yeah, killer whales. That's cool. And whatnot. Watching it again for the first time in so long, I had expected it to. I feel like my, I feel like it's so easy to make fun of this movie that I forgot about like the movie itself. And it's a it is a good movie. I mean, like it's certainly cheesy in its own way, but like mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad film. And I think that comes from the fact that before you get to, you know, the ending, which in itself is not even a bad thing, it's just a whale jumps over a thing. That's not ridiculous. It's just you know, it is what it is. It's called like, Free Willy. Guess what the hell happens in the movie? Yeah, and, he, like, and the whale okay. jumps. Okay. I mean, that's people pay to see whales jump all the time. <laughs> so it's like yeah. it's not really out of the ordinary for that to happen in a movie, uh, but the why that works though why it earns i think it's how it's filmed that's because it's slow motion and it's like over oh, the kid he's like yeah we did it but like the reason that pays off is because it's a solid character film for the most part yes there's the other side of it that has evil michael ironside and richard real without a mustache so it's like is that richard real it is uh, like <laughs> it, it like it has that stuff where it's like we're gonna make a killing off this whale this killer whale they don't say that but they should um but the but the um the storyline involving jason what is it james jason richter mm-hmm. uh who stars in the next two he's he's in the whole trilogy he sticks around um I, I, for one thing, I think he's good. Um, he's better than the other kids we've seen in movies recently, which is a big fucking plus right there. Uh, but I like that story. I like the idea of a kid being pulled off the streets, being given a family that features one reluctant parental figure and one that's more embraceive, along with him meeting new friends like Lori Petty playing a normal person in a film. Mm-hmm. And it even skates by with the, Oh, the Native American has ancient wisdom that he wants to, but like it manages to do that in just the right way that it doesn't feel too offensive uh, for, you know, what I assume is a bunch of white people making a movie. It's like, okay, you're skating by (laughs) with this stuff. That's fine. And we find (laughs) out we have more than one go to because Graham Greene was busy in benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It could make the flights from the desert up to northern Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, But regardless, I think all that stuff works well. Um, I, I think the. For especially, you know, being a, fa- a family-friendly movie, of course, it's not, you know, it's not like what's the Furlong Bridges movie we talked about? Um, 
American. Oh, yeah, American, oh, American Heart. Yes, American, American Heart. Heart. Yeah, it's not going to be as gritty as something like that. <laughs> Yeah. But but you can see what I'm saying. Like there's oh, a, yeah. a story that's certainly grittier. This is a family movie that's ta- that's dealing with a real issue as far as you know, kids that are out of foster homes or whatnot and have to deal with shit. Oh, yeah, it's not rookie of the year. No, no, it's not. It's but it's with- not American Heart. Yeah, yeah, I get For it. sure. Like, and I I feel like it does a good job of presenting that thing. It happens to have this gimmick of there's a there's a killer whale involved or whatnot, and that stuff I think works too. Like, I mean, it's a mix of whale and animatronic whale, and it looks good. The thing that very much gave me deja vu was hearing Willie's like crying sound. I, yeah. I that that came right back into my memory. It's like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> and it's not. I can't imagine that being real in any way whatsoever. But the fact that they keep playing that sound is like, oh, this ring. I remember this very completely now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I think <laughs> whatever flaws you might want to find with it, I think it's for a movie like this in the realm of family films coming out at this time, it's like, this is pretty good. I can see why it worked as well as it does. Like it's effective. Yeah. Scott, were you too cool for free Willie back then? No. Well, no, I mean, I saw it. That I was rarely this, too cool for anything. That's, this that's is true. true. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I saw it when it was on HBO. I, mean, I was always aware of it. It just wasn't anything I raised on the theater seat. I remember liking it. And this is the first time I've probably watched it since, you know, 30, 29 years ago. Yep. And it fucking rocks. <laughs> I was shocked at for a lot of the stuff that Aaron said is that it is just you know it reminded me in a skewed way of Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. and let me explain. You know, you have the the final reel which has all the stuff that everybody remembers uh-huh. and is a little cheesy, a little melodramatic, or whatever. But before that, it's a real fucking movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a real, authentic, occasionally raw character piece with the kind of specificity and 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 you know. Uh, sketched out an authentic I used the word authentic twice I you know characters that it just it's it's a real movie. You have Michael Madsen playing a nice guy, mm-hmm. a flawed but genuinely caring and loving, you know, foster father. You have Lori Petty, you know, again playing a normal person. That's actually pretty cool. Um and you have the kid's anger and rage and resentment, which is presented as understandable and not just genuine, but Almost morally correct. It's nothing that, that the movie ever judges him for. It's, and, it's why I, I'm sorry. It's why like it's why I don't like Angels of the Outfield because I think this is a better version of that kind of thing. As far as a kid that's doesn't sorry, what was that? It's it's why it's better than Angels in the Outfield to me. Like I was talking about that. Oh God, year. yes. Where like I mean, yeah, like, I, I, yeah. I, I like Angels of the Outfield well enough, but yeah, this is a much better picture. But like because it's it's doing like it's dramatic without being. Like I said, it's not gritty in this movie, but that movie, yeah. you know, he he seems like he's basically fine. Like, yeah. you know, like he cries once because his dad's in com or something. It's like this movie, like, makes it feel like, yeah, this matters if that things are the way. And, you know, it's it's, you know, it's 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 a kid's film that it's pitched at smart children rather than stupid adults. And slight spoilers for the sequel. But in the opening moments of the sequel, you find out his mother's dead. They find her body, and it turns out that she has another kid. Well, that's, that that's ends up not being true. That's not true in this one, though. Well, that's what I mean. But what I apologize. What I mean is yeah. that this is a franchise that doesn't fuck around. It okay. follows through. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have the I you mean, know, like, yeah, it's you know, Wonder here, Park but... or whatever, where she's got cancer, but your mom's going to be okay at the end. But I, I was shocked. Like only again, because again, I, I I hadn't seen this film in 29 years. At what just a really really good movie it was. Um, and as much as you know, you could say you know, oh, you know, and the performance of Jesse, uh, James me, Ricker. James yes, 
you know, this is why I, I don't feel bad about shitting on, you know, last action hero and, and rookie of the year, because whether it's direction or whether it's just acting skill, but this is a genuinely good kid performance in service of a genuinely good movie. Um, I, I yeah, I, mean, he, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, I had a note here about like, hey, we have another child actor leading things again. How's that? But like, he's good. Like, I think he only struggles some late scenes with the emotional anger. But at that point, it's far enough into this already. You give it to him. That Yeah. And it also, you know, because of where the character is, that struggling Mm -hmm. almost feels sorry authentic yeah. to what the, you know the how the character would that character would act yeah. he himself is also still trying to put up something of a facade of being stronger and tougher than he actually yeah. is um I, I, and again I, I, it's it's one of those movies where it's mostly really nice good people yeah who do their best and stumble that generally have good things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Iron, Ironside's the asshole, but he's sort of like the only bad guy in the entire movie. Give and it's take. not even like his stuff is, it's not yeah. maniacal, it's just right. profit driven. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's not like he's not trying to murder the whale. No, it's <laughs> like, right. I'm not going to say, you know, obviously you don't agree slash sympathize with him, but it's like you understand, oh, he's in a real <laughs> bad financial situation here. Right, and he delivers that. God, I hate that whale line yeah. so well. Like, uh, and you know that if the whale had, you know, bucked up and performed that one damn time, then none of this would have happened. Right. I also like that he's wearing a suit for the most part. He's usually dressed in like leather jackets and stuff. Yes. Like, oh, his hair, and he's got hair. He's got hair. And he's yeah. got. It's all. Nice. He's obviously wearing a toupee, but like, it's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he is a villain who acts in a villainous way, but he is a reasonable villain. I can't emphasize this enough. Also, Richard Real without a mustache. And mustache is it's strange. It's so strange looking at him. <laughs> it's like a, a body snatcher took his place or something. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, we keep calling this a kids' movie, but like, I think to give this movie some praise and stuff, I feel like it's just a movie about like you know treatment of whales and is all that stuff. And are in character as a kid. Like, I feel like, you know, it, it probably, you know, sold family movies. So, it is presented by is, literally WB's like, family line of movies. Yeah, <laughs> it like, is. But, like, I feel this movie is like part of the thing is it's just our in character as a kid and everything. Cause, like, it doesn't like tend to lean on those kid centric sure. things like, like movies we've seen so far have done uh, this summer. And we've had a lot, like, what, you know, towards the end, we like to talk about. You know, what did we learn from this summer? And what's one of the things that you've noticed? And I mean, there's kids movies with regularity coming out in summer of 93 that we've been going well, through. I there's- think at this point in time, and this is going to be a big talking point about the next movie we're going to talk about, and that there was a much clearer delineation. Pardon me if I mispronounce that. Delia- delineation. delineation. Don't, don't try to do it again. That's Thank not you. Anybody. Delineation. <laughs> Between movies for adults and movies for kids. Yeah. And yeah, there were obviously four quadrant pictures like Jurassic Park or something like that. But, you know, it's 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 Mm -hmm. again, the example I always use is, you know, you didn't expect adults to see Dennis the Menace on date night. Right. Brandon, Um, I I would say this is very close to being an Amblin movie. Yeah, 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 there you go. Yes. There you go. Yeah, 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 not, yeah, perfect. It's not specifically designed for children, but it certainly has a yeah. embraces a certain kind of spirit. And again, because right. I, I think this is an important distinction when you talk about, you know, Pixar or you know, some of the better franchisey blockbusters we've seen in the last several years. I do think there's a difference between being aimed at smart children versus you know, stupid adults. 
And I think, you know, I think, for example, some of the Pixar movies are very good because they are aimed at children as opposed to, oh, this is a movie for adults with pop culture references and, and just enough body humor to get a PG and, you know, all that nonsense. Yeah. Um, like, this, oh, sorry, like this. Yeah, this movie, it also feels like that family movie that like the others start chasing in terms of like character, how characters are developed and certain like beats and things that play with this movies would, this would be what they chase, which obviously it made a lot of money. So that's I, I, I also think it's worth noting that, you know, to a certain extent when people complain about, you know, there's no movies for regular Americans, whatever. Yeah. To a certain extent, that's a political dog whistle. You know, I'm not oblivious, but also, you know, you used to have, mainstream genre films like this or 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 arachnophobia or tremors that just took place in america yeah with some you know economically lowered middle class middle class regular americans going about their day and dealing with a conflict mm -hmm. it wasn't every movie wasn't he's a rich gajillionaire who finds out he's the special and, you know, it's, it's, I do think that sentiment has sort of gone the way of the dodo bird of late. Um, and maybe that's part of why I'm so into the Shazam franchise, because that does feel like a genuinely blue collar fantasy franchise in a way that a lot of the others don't. Mm -hmm. You know, even Spider Man turned out to be, oh, well, he's, you know, he's basically Tony Stark's, you know, uh, uh, ward now. Yeah. Um, but anyway. But yeah. Brandon, so did you like this movie? Sorry. <laughs> yeah it's fine I, I don't think i'm as high on it as you two are but um i don't think it's much about be i'm sorry i want you to keep going i don't think it's much about us being as high on it. it's just more of i think we're generally surprised at how not bad it is no it, it's definitely inoffensive <laughs> it's bad i it's inner like all the castings but like fascinating to me that they would put michael ironside and michael madsen in the same movie <laughs> like you'd think madsen it would it'd become to a choice between the two to play the, the theme park owner but no you know what let's give michael madsen a, this is a weird time where michael madsen probably could be anything he's not like stuck to one thing he's generally intense actor but he's given these options of like maybe we can have him do some other stuff here someone um, is the same where he's not a bad person right he's the like the husband or whatever. This like, time he's but the getaway remake he's in too is around yeah. this time. So yeah, he's, he's this is definitely off kilter for him, and this might be one of the first times I saw him in something. Uh, oh, yeah, to think about yeah. it, yeah, I didn't see Reservoir Dogs, so this is definitely the first time I saw. Him. Yeah, so this has been like something like that. Um, Jane Atkinson, I'd be more familiar with in Twenty Four, so that was a uh, yeah. Is Karen Hayes right? Karen, Karen Hayes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and you know what? You know, two hours of watching Lori Petty walk around and swimwear is not a bad time to bad way to spend the movie, your movie. But good uh, on the kid for keeping his eye on the dolphin, on the killer whale. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> there's that. Yeah, there's the the big like this felt like a reason we have the don't touch the glass sign at zoos scene that was in there where the kids were just yeah. obnoxious down there. I was like, I guess, I guess we need to really stress getting the point across about the nervous whale uh and such but um that was the scene i was like eh, okay come on it's almost like com comedy sketch where it's almost like uh clerks when they lock the door and all the people are like <sighs> uh with that but no it, it's gotta build it's, it's, it's gotta build that tension you gotta get 
I guess so. I guess, and so. I don't think it's too far from reality. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not like the the other whale parks have sterling reputations. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think the finale delivers in the suspense department quite well, um, yeah. even though you know it's going to happen. But like the that's that's the, that's what makes it neat because yeah. it's marketed off the fact that this whale is going to jump over a wall at the end of mm-hmm. this movie, and yet you're it's you know it's way different but you know it's titanic it's like boat's gonna sink guys yeah. we know that's gonna happen why what's happening what's going on what are this what's the context here this movie well, delivers on that and it delivers in getting this this kid believably gets these adults on board to do it like that could be really that could screw the movie and some other if in the wrong hands and this one actually I buy it. It works. And then you get these nighttime sneak away scenes and everybody's starting to come together to get this to happen. And then the, the head off with, you know, you cast Michael Ironside. So for a minute there, you're like, Oh man, he's gonna, he's gonna win. Isn't he? <laughs> Cause he's Michael Ironside. <laughs> and he's intense. And blow these people away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there's that, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it works. It, it functions. It's something I think still could hold up easily today. Um, and it's just a in general solid movie for me. Um, I am blown away by the the franchising of this movie um, because <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it had an animated TV show that ran for two seasons with twenty one episodes. They made the sequel, of course, Free Willy to the Adventure Home, which Richter returns, Madsen, Atkinson, Schellenberg, well, and Williamson, uh, as well as uh, casting Big Emmett Summer in it. Uh, yeah. Francis Capra and Elizabeth Pena are in the cast of the second one. Uh, Free Willy 3 then came. The Rescue. Uh, the Rescue, which Richter and Schellenberg return. And Free Willy, Escape from Pirate's Cove, in which nobody comes back, and Bo Bridges stars. And I assume like Randy Quaid's cousin. cousin yeah. Like, from like, National Lampoon's is just randomly in there. And there's been no talk of like resurrecting this shit, right? Well, the thing, like the thing we haven't <laughs> talked about is the fact that not only do we have these stars, but Kiko the whale became a huge star out of this in the same way yeah. that like Bart the bear was a star. Like the, the whale was very much like in the news as far as its backstory and its history and the fact that it got eventually released into the wild and then died. Right. Uh, like, it, but like that was a huge, that's why it was, you know, much like dinosaurs, like the whale, the killer whale became super popular. It had a main, it had a thing everyone mm-hmm. could kind of harness around beyond just like maybe you went to SeaWorld for a summer or whatever. Everybody saw this movie and they're like, Yeah, this whale's great. We love the whale. Let's see more of the whale. Let's get all this whale news out of it. So I, I could go it. to a place like Ohio and go to SeaWorld. <laughs> the strangest place to have. Oh, well. And, you know, eventually, if I recall, the whale was released, was released. from captivity because yeah. it was, you know, like the, you know, film basically implied was doing pretty badly in captivity mm-hmm. but it it died in 2003 like shortly after it died because it just wasn't used to that kind of you know it's in captivity for so long it just it couldn't make do and, you know passed away bye, which is an awkward bye, bit of kiko <laughs> which is an awkward footnote to the otherwise positive legacy of this picture i will say one of the you know we all grew up with simpsons in the 90s the free willy <laughs> where the whale like lands on the kid and they have like voice alike and it's funny because it's like a michael madsen voice alike so it has to be someone that's kind of gruff it's like oh what a mess <laughs> it killed our son <laughs> oh no willie didn't make it and he crushed our boy what a oh, mess i hate this new director's cut <laughs> oh. there's also um I, I will note between the the last two films we've done there's been uh 
there's a little league game and benefit of the doubt. And there's some, a lot of mitt ball baseball action when he's at home in free Willie and American. Keep, yeah, America's pastime. Keep with the rookie of the year and a lot of baseball. Did, did Eddie Furlong have a mitt or he just had a bike, right? Oh, I honestly I don't, don't remember. Think, I don't think he did. They seemed like if they had a chance, they'd probably, they're like rollers gator shit or whatever. They were doing other things. <laughs> the goal was to play catch, but the only thing I caught was death. Wicked case happened. Yes, uh, wicked case for a wicked heart. Anyway, so who killed him? Who killed him in that movie? Who was the bad guy? Oh, uh, it's not Sizemore. Who who was the other like scuzzy guy they had? <laughs> they could. <laughs> who was his dealer guy? I can't remember. Was it somebody? It, I, it's some. It's not nobody. I can't remember. Hold a lot on. Of movies ago. <laughs> you keep going. American Heart. Can't yeah, I can't remember if his dealer was somebody or not. It's like a guy that's like not Mickey Rourke, but like the guy you get when you can't get Mickey Rourke. But there was no, there was no uh, baseball in that movie. I'm pretty sure. No, there was Don that. Harvey. That's what it is. Okay. Don Harvey. Okay. Yeah, he has a face that's like, oh, they couldn't get Mickey Rourke for this one. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. So, uh, but also uh, speaking of Mickey Rourke, when you can't get him, you get Yancey to talk about Yancey's tales from the video store. And this fellow named Linus Lawson had just opened up this video store called Video Archives. And it really was a movie lover's heaven. It was really terrific. I was a customer there, and I really liked it. And uh, eventually he asked me if I wanted a job. And I was like, yeah, I'd love a job here. This would be a dream. And and it was. It was until I became a director. It was the best job I'd ever had. And... Um, and I ended up working there for like five years. I've only really met and talked to Tarantino just a few times in my life. I don't think he would know me. I, I did have, we did have a really close friend in common who passed away a few years ago, uh, who we were both still friends at the time, but I didn't know Tarantino at all. The last time I saw him was at this friend's party uh, for his birthday. And at this point, Tarantino, I knew that he had bought all the video archives tapes and moved them into his house. It was used to be William Freakin's house, and he was now living in this house. It was William Freakin's house, and he brought us up to watch That Darn Cat and Never a Dull Moment, which is another Disney movie. Uh, first for my friend Steve-O, who was his name, Steve-O, a wonderful guy, a guy I loved to death, who died, gosh, 10 years ago, maybe, too young, but he was there with Tarantino the whole time, and he's in Reservoir Dogs, and he's in Kill Bill, Got little cameo roles, and I love that guy. And the only thing I got to tell Tarantino as he walked by was, "Hey, thanks for this." And by the way, I have a copy of the Tenant, the the archives copy of the Tenant, because I I still had it when the store finally closed down. We packed it all up. I never had returned my copy of the Tenant, and he, okay, I want I want that copy back. I want the archives copy. I said, "Okay, I'll bring it back to you." And then uh, I was going to bring him the archives, the copy of the Tenant back. Steve-O was going to have me drive up to his house uh, to bring it back to him, which might have been a momentous occasion for me to meet him and talk to him. That was what Steve-O was trying to give me. But at the <laughs> same time, believe it or not, I had been in this process of romancing this girl who worked in the it, it, with me at E! with Steve-O. Steve-O and I worked at E! Media Center's, uh, E! Television's Media Center, which is basically a big video store inside the E! Company. And somehow everybody from mm-hmm. Archives, I used to work at Archives, now worked in the E! Well, not Tarantino, but a few of the archives people now worked at E and I got pulled into E because Robert worked now worked at E and even Steve worked at E for a little while. And <laughs> Arnie worked at E. Arnie worked at E until about six months ago. 
but um, our NBA became NBC. Um, but um, but we all worked it together, and 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 I never gave him that copy of of uh, of, uh, of of the tenant back because I that was like a fateful lunch where I decided to, to go with this girl to lunch. We went to lunch, and we were she was great. We were together for seven years, and she was a great it was a great like, romance. So I can't regret that that ever happened. But it's uh, it's funny how Tarantino little Tarantino moments are weaved through there, and then after our relationship. Ten years later, we were still sitting next to each other at work at E, and she shows me a picture of herself out at Halloween with her girlfriends, with this guy in a Mexican wrestler mask on a bus, out at some Halloween thing. And she's like, "Who's that? Can you tell who that is?" And that Mexican wrestler mask. And I'm looking. There's a picture of my girlfriend dressed to the nines, ex girlfriend at that point, yeah, and her three pretty girlfriends. And the guy in the mask is clearly Quentin Tarantino. Ah, this is very strange. <laughs> very strange. All like full circle. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are now here with Hocus Pocus. Oh, okay. From Walt Disney Pictures, after 300 years, the Sanderson witches are back. <gasps> and running amok. Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? <gasps> Hocus Pocus, rated PG. National sneak preview this Saturday and Sunday. Directed by Kenny Ortega. Uh, written by David Kirshner, Mick Garris, and Neil Cuthbert, starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimi, Thora Birch, Vanessa Straw, Omri Katz, Doug Jones, and Charles Rocket. A teenage boy named... Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall. Gary, Let's talk about the, the, the husband and wife duo. Gare Bear and Pen Pen. Uh, <laughs> a teenage boy named Max and his little sister moved to Salem, where he struggles to fit in before awakening a trio of diabolical witches that were executed in the 17th century. So going to the script here with the people who wrote it, we have Neil Cuthbert. He who had written return of swamp thing, right? It goes on to write mystery men. And he wrote St. Elsewhere. You have David Kirshner, who is a Chucky producer from the beginning. And he also produced frailty, lots of cartoons and wrote American tale. And then Mick Garris. There's a so, lot of good credits going on here. <laughs> so Mick Garris and horror. Like, so Mick Garris is considered like one of those masters of horror. And <laughs> He's he's a guy that like gets he was director of Masters of Horror for one a couple episodes, but he's one of those also that people okay. say gets I, Stephen King. But like, mm. I like the guy. I like listening to McGarrett's talk. He seems like a cool Master dude. But like, okay, his he directed okay. Critters Two, which is the one where they become the ball and stuff, which is a fun movie. He did Freddy's Nightmares, Psycho Four. Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, Stephen King's Quicksilver Highway. Maybe his claim to fame is the Shining television miniseries from the 90s, the original one. And he did Stephen King's Desperation. But like... I mean, I, I play God of War. I don't call when, myself a God when of you War. Director, like, yeah, when you <laughs> So like, I've always... I, I felt want to be mean about McGarrett. And he's like, did a lot. He's like, he comes off the Dante tree. I know him and Dante did stuff together early on really related to Mick Mick Harris on this bogus bogus so I'm just like well these are people like behind the scenes writing this 
you got some people with some cred, but the Mick Garris being like this big horror master guy, I've always wondered about. Uh, it's just a fun side tangent you're yes. taking where like, I don't think I've ever associated Mick Garris with this movie once, but I've seen it plenty of times. Right. But, okay, now that we've gotten your hatred for Mick Garris out I of don't have, Oh yeah, my hatred for Mick Garris. Oh, I mean, it's no riding the bullet. This bone that you've been waiting to pick on this podcast for Mick Garris. Yes. Oh, okay. So, smash that subscribe button. Smash it. Uh, so... I saw this in the theater. So, guys, before you speak your thoughts on Hocus Pocus, I want you to say five nice things about it that are not that aren't backhanded or condescending. Five? Wants, That's a lot. Who, who wants to go first? I can. Do Sarah that. Jessica Parker is stupid hot. Okay. That's one, Scott. You got four more. Um. I don't want to spoil my main point. You about can this, spoil like, Hocus Pocus. No, I don't mean spoil. I mean, <laughs> it is an interesting example of generational nostalgia, part of which springs from the idea that, as noted in the previous conversation, there was a delineation between adult films and kid films. And comparatively speaking, Hocus Pocus was a Disney film aimed at very young children that nonetheless had child murder moments of you know intrigue and terror it's horny in a way that's almost almost subversive by today's standards um so i can certainly understand why young audiences that weren't used to seeing films of this nature pitched at them in 1993 or as they were younger watching it on disney channel reruns would take to it why would you double down on saying delineation again so that's two <laughs> So that's two. That's two. <laughs> Aaron, help me here. <laughs> um, I like how this is predicated off the idea that none of us like this movie that's beloved by so many. Um, it feels like Autumn. Um, it doesn't feel like a film that's made on sets primarily. It feels like a film that they went to a New England town. Are they in New England? Is that where they are? Salem-esque Salem, town. So yeah. yeah. So, so I, it feels like a film that's set in Autumn. Most of my niceties have to do with how much I hate the sequel because I feel like that this feels like a real movie where that movie doesn't feel like Ooh. real. Movie. Yeah, you um, it. So I, I think that that's the benefit there. The women, the witches, obviously have chemistry. You know, Jimmy Parker and Med Middler, they all work well together. That's no surprise. I mean, they 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 do they do the job they need to do as far as in a film like this that is a you know a Halloween film for kids. Uh, the requirement there is to play up these big roles that are, you know, big, big, going big kind of parts. Mm-hmm. You don't need to ask Bette Midler very hard to say, go big in a role. And I do think she delivers exactly what that's supposed to be, along with the Jimmy and Parker. I think the kinds of characters that they're supposed to be, they're delivering on those and they work well together. I do think by comparison to the sequel, the big musical number that takes place in this movie is fun. I think that is a fun sequence. It's ridiculous, but I do like... I. That's not a thing I see in movies very often um, at that time. And I'm thinking, okay, that that's a swing. And I, I enjoyed it. Doug Jones is great. Doug Jones always innocent. Um, he, he plays a big old zombie. I like seeing a zombie in a movie. I like seeing a zombie in a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And I like seeing a zombie that has his lips sewn together. That's fun. That's a fun mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Three? Um, <laughs> what are the other things? See, Scott, it's not hard. 
Um, it really is. Um, Kenny Ortega went on to do lots of better things. Uh, the High School Musical 1 and 3 are quite good. I think 2 stinks, but whatever. Uh, Descendants 1 is terrible because there's too much focus on the vamping adults, not unlike this picture. But Descendants 2 and 3, which sign the spotlight on the children, are much better. Okay. Gotcha. So you're, you, that wasn't one. That was just more that's of... Just, that's not, that the, the direct, what you're saying is the director did a bad job here, which is... <laughs> Not a compliment Not for this a compliment. movie. <laughs> Not a compliment. You, you've seen my problem here. <laughs> this um, is, I, I mean, there's a scene. There's a scene where they think they've killed the witches, and they celebrate by the fountain. That is the same fountain used in the Friends opening theme music. Ah, okay. Um, that is amusing, but that's not a compliment. That's no, it's just a fact trivia. that I like putting out because when you watch it, it's like, oh, that is that fountain. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think it's cool they kill a kid in the opening scene. Actually, it is it yeah. is surprisingly dark. Um, it does it ta- and it has no take backsies in that regard as well, which I enjoy. Yeah. Um, same with like Casper, for example, which yeah, is also too. like it's predicated on the idea that there's a dead child in a ghost body and they're trying to bring it back. So, <laughs> um, Aaron, did you see this in the theater when it came out? I did not. I rented okay. it probably because my mom or my dad were just like, "Why are we seeing a horror movie in the summer?" Did you did you <laughs> did you like it when you first saw it at a young age? That's a fun question um, because I was I, I was not I was not unknown to dislike movies despite regardless of what age it was aiming at. Like I, I saw it in liked, the theater. It's good. Like I never liked Hook. Like that was never like oh it was good when I was a kid. <laughs> I like I, none of that. Um, so. Same with like Doubtfire. There's a lot of I Ron Williams is great, but I did not like a lot of his '90s kids movies. Um, let's see, did I like Pocus Pocus? I can't say that I felt any significant way about it. Is the best way I can put it. I can't say that I watched it as like, oh, this is terrible. But I can't say that I watched it and thought, oh, this is great either. I feel like I watched it as like, no, oh, okay. I- which yeah, is- <laughs> yeah. I, I watched it and then like never again. Like I always remembered the 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 witches as like characters as some sort of iconography but like i didn't remember a damn thing from that like the movie like at all i remember like omri katz and vanessa shaw were in it because he was he had this run here in this time, was, indiana yeah. and he had matinee um and then like apparently he's a hairstylist now and uh does joe dante's hair and i knew uh, birch because of that like monkey trouble Bert, yeah birch but so like <laughs> I and then it had this resurgence at some point, and then I like watched it again, and nothing was familiar <laughs> even in it. And I was like, huh. But like, I can't tell you if I left the theater that day going, that was awesome or that was fun. I didn't remember a thing from it when I first I, saw it. I had seen it enough on like Disney Channel reruns over the years. Okay. Where I necessarily like knew the movie, but it wasn't one where, you know, I needed to like put up a mm-hmm. mounting defense over like, oh, this is so good in the same, which is very similar. I don't yeah. like to keep bringing up Hook because I don't care to bring up movies I don't care yeah. for all that often. But it's the same thing where it's like this, you know, going into college, people talk about the movies they like or what they, you know, what they still, you know, stand up for or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's like Hocus Pocus was a big one of those as far as, yeah, we watched all the, we watched every Halloween because, it, you know, it's fun and everything. It's like, Okay. Like, okay. It doesn't really mean anything to me, but that's good on you. You know, huh. Scott, you can talk. No, it's it's, and I'll be honest. If I had seen the film in its initial run, mm-hmm. and I probably would have said that is a bad movie. Whatever, life goes on, and never given it another thought. But I do get cranky 
when films like this take on this skewed, it's good actually generational nostalgia thing, especially when we're in the streaming wars where you get a hocus pocus two that exists. And instead of it being some direct to video, whatever that we could kind of ignore, it becomes a major chess piece in the giant industry wide streaming war. And, and we have awful. to pay attention to it. And, and it's, it's terrible. Just like I, I think by default, I like the third <laughs> in the first one because I like Sam Richardson. But, uh, some, but some of the, some of the adult actors are, are actors that I enjoy seeing regardless. So but by default, I was more entertained. That streaming numbers on it, the claim are humongous. Would yeah. it have translated to theaters at all? Uh, I mean, I don't think it would have been a blockbuster or anything, but I think they would have, if they had given it a conventional theatrical release, I think it would have made enough to justify the marketing campaign. Because well, again, when you've already made the movie, the only thing extra you're spending is theatrical marketing. I, I assume yeah. it didn't cost much to make to begin no. with. So that's that's yeah. it, that's in its favor. Right. Uh, um, yeah. Like you can't you can't argue the same for certain like Netflix blockbusters that cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and you definitely know they would not make that money back in theaters. Yeah, Red Notice um, would not make that much money in theaters. Mm-hmm. Like having said that, Dogus Pocus Two seems to be the exception in terms of this because you know Willow didn't last a season. Nobody watched Disenchanted, um, and a lot of these you know the Mighty Ducks barely crawled the two seasons. Uh, Turner and Hooch lasted one season, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing how Mighty Ducks. Like, I know it's not Emilio's fault necessarily, but it's really easy to lay the blame at Emilio for it not going on longer than it did. That it did. And again, because we don't have the ratings beyond it did not appear in the top ten in any given Nielsen week. I, I, you know, it could have just been that nobody watched it. That's because it's it's a show that exists because of nostalgia, much like exactly. But I, I, I mean, you know, and again, I, I think Mocus Pocus is the exception to the rule, saying that you could get people to watch Disney Plus by taking every single freaking thing they own the rights to and making a TV show or movie, you know, revamp of it. That's nobody fair, watched right? the Night of the Museum thing. Nobody watched the new Ice Age movie. And, uh, nobody watched the new Diary of a Wimpy Kid cartoon. Because I, I can see you could build up an event around Hocus Pocus, especially when you have yeah. the three leads involved again, and it's such a specific kind of cult property. Where like Mighty Ducks isn't a cult property; that's just a sports movie that I might know. Like that's right. it's different. Yeah. So getting back to this movie, to Hocus Pocus, <laughs> Hocus, yeah. I'm trying to like determine what it is I don't like about this movie. I haven't even really thought about that. Well, For me, I think it's and a, this. No, go ahead. Go ahead. It's a, it's a movie that I think you see, like if you see it as a kid, you distance from it after a long time. It feels like a movie that sounds a lot cooler when you talk about it and remember things like chatting with someone who also hadn't seen it in a while than actually sitting down and watching it play out. Like, they're like, oh, I killed a kid. There's this zombie with his thing sworn up. They do this, this. And it pictures from it, like seeing an excerpt scene, fills you with something differently than having, like, watching it already. Like, the, I sitting through it's like, Chorish almost, and then I, I see. I agree there. That's the things I can yeah. point out to. Like I, as the last time I watched it was before the sequel came out, just to be fresh on it. Mm-hmm. And I can remember it being like the pace is all over the place. There's awkward like beginning stuff. Like there's bullies that aren't really bullies, but they are. That's just like why is this even in here? Well, one of my favorite parts <laughs> was like not even to do with the witches or anything. It's when that guy is like <laughs> that cop guy. Castles him and it ends up he's just a guy in a Halloween costume screwing with kids. Yeah, <laughs> they thought it was a cop. I'm like that was funny. They had that funny bit with the guy dressed as Satan at the house, and then it keeps going. 
Like it was really, it was. It's pretty funny at first with their first couple lines, and then it didn't stop. I guess that's what amounts to. There's a lot of labored bits that feel like now we're doing something that's not for the kids specifically, but it's not really entertaining anyway. So it's like, okay, that's. Well, I think it's an example. I think to a certain extent, the film has some "quote unquote" content that is, you know, again, pitched or dumb, you know, not dumb adults, but sort of like. Like, okay, we're stuck here because we took our kids because there's nothing else to see. Here's a, here's a few gimmies that don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like- for me, the one big reason why the movie is bad is because I think it's more interesting. The idea of the movie is more yeah. interesting than the movie that we get. And while the three adult witches are certainly having fun, so much of the movie is them just standing around by themselves, talking to each other and barely interacting with the world around them which yeah. is like the worst kind of improv for a feature film. And it's just boring. Mm-hmm. It can yeah. be. And that's, I would give the sequel some credit for as far as it at least allows them to have some scenes of like, it's 2022. Like what's going yeah. on now with witches? Like that's, but even some of that. And again, the, oh, it's bad for the most yeah, part. It's still a bad movie. What puzzled me about that is like, they were shocked and puzzled by technological advancements that totally existed in 1993. Yeah. That's yeah. why it's a real give or take in that regard. Yeah. Um, well, um Yeah. There's also so like there's a vibe to this movie and a and a feeling a way it plays out and even budgetary and design that there was a show or a couple you know shows back then like Nickelodeon had a show called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. If you'd have slapped Are You Afraid of the Dark presents Hocus Pocus on this, I'd have believed it was like a just a little glorified version of that episode of television for that because it just kind of it has that like. I'm not too dark type thing. We'll do dark things, but we're kind of like happy. And then just the overall like look of it and feeling kind of feels like that. And I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark? I watched that all the time. And then there was a Goosebumps show around the same time too, I yeah. believe that kind of had that vibe. And it feels like one of those. Um, but like like this is the movie, like, you know, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Well, here's the kids show presenting their horror movie and it kind of it kind of feels like that to me. It kind of has that vibe. Yeah, it's like I'm so into the the idea of gateway horror. We talked about that in out now. We had a yeah. lot of focused on gateway horror for like younger audiences, which is a cool thing to have. And so, like on that level, I could appreciate the notion of, yeah, we made a film about like witches that actually killed, you know, suck the souls out of children. That's like what you guys are hey, saying. Hey, hold That's on, a... hold on. He's about to get his soul sucked. Thank you. <laughs> um <laughs> that's the kind of thing where yes like you guys are saying you talk about it that seems like a neat idea in execution whether Uh it's whether it's direction which it likely is or just like not having a handle on how to properly do this yeah it's it does feel like a just kind of a labored thing so my question now is what is it that beyond the idea of nostalgia is a powerful drug like what is the appeal to certain audiences like for example we're three guys talking about hocus pocus is there like right is there like a feminist like positive positivity aspect to this and it's hard to think there is since it's about three women that just want to kill children i think it's i think it's rise and raging cult popularity is largely female from what I'm sure yeah. that, that's what I would say. So maybe there's be on like Bet Midler fans for whatever reason. Yeah. Right? <laughs> maybe there's some um. something like that doesn't click with the three of us, and that's a okay. Like we're just giving our thoughts on the movie, and if you like it, that's perfectly fine. And you got your sequel that was a streaming. 
I guess my only counterpoint to that, and I don't disagree with you for the record, but for me, my biggest problems with the film are the adult stuff, not the kid stuff. I can, I can forgive the kid stuff because it's kid stuff. But for me, what kills the movie is how lethargic and lifeless the, the trio their scenes are where again oh, they're just come on i'm not doing anything come on scott it's just a bunch of hocus pocus exactly i expect more from my hocus pocus title drop yeah that yeah it's so awful i'm sorry i hate the title drop <laughs> <laughs> um but no you're probably right in the sense that a lot of the generational nostalgia does come from young girls who or they were young girls when they saw this film either in theaters or on vhs or on disney channel and great wonderful whatever but you know, if we're talking about, do I think this is a good film? No, it's not. And I'm sorry, Scream 4 still sucks, too. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and so, I'm tired of pretending it doesn't. I was, I was surprised, though. Like, there's this big opening scene, but then the witches don't show up for, like, till after the 30-minute mark. So that I'm mm-hmm. like, that's probably why we have this bit stretched, like, opening scene. That was kind of surprising to, to me. You do establish the fact that they're a threat to some degree. And like, yeah. Before you... Yeah what happened we could make a whole movie on that um scott i will say you mentioned sarah jessica parker this like yeah this is the first time because like i was sold as that she was some attractive item back in the day but it was this movie where i'm like okay she is an attractive item i had already seen la story i already knew (laughs) i fell head over heels i was like 10 or 11 give or take when it came out um so yeah gotcha gotcha so i'm sitting here going why the hell was this movie released in July? Uh, and then I started looking up. So horror, the horror-ish titles that would have competed with this the fall of 93 from September to October. You have The Good Son. Probably not a competition with Focus Focus. Warlock, The Armageddon. Not the same one. Kids love Warlock. I, th- I threw Malice in there. Uh, there's... The comedy Fatal Instinct, but kids love Fatal Instinct. Why would you throw it? Okay, <laughs> here it is. Here it is. The wide release of Nightmare Before Christmas. Bingo! But you could have had September. You the irony, of course, is that Disney was scared shitless. I was going to say they Christmas. they hated that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just yeah, I was like, okay, well, you kind of, I don't know. I don't know, but it is what it is. All's well that ends well-ish. We got Hocus Pocus 2 last year, and we got The Corpse Bride many moons down the road <laughs> and a Frankenweenie. So things happen for everyone. But what happened with Hocus Pocus at the box office this week, Scott? Let's move on. Nothing to that. good. Oh, no. Um, uh, Where's the actual list? There we go. Hold on. Sorry. The firm was number one for its third weekend in a row. $13.3 million dropping 26%. It was a dead Uh, heat for like one and two this week. Oh, yeah. I I think they were sort of neck and neck for a while, by the Mm -hmm. way. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, 96 million after 17 days in the line of fire would earn 13 million, dropping just 14.5%, adding 186 screens. For a 2089 screen release, uh, it would earn 36 million after 10 days. It would eventually cross 100 million domestic. Number three, Jurassic Park, still over 10 million dollars in its sixth week of release, uh, with 29 
dropping 29%, losing a whopping eight screens, it is still the widest released movie in the top whatever at this point, with 2,557 theaters. It would earn $256 million by the end of day 38, whatever that is. Um, coming in at fourth place was Hocus Pocus, earning a slightly disappointing $8.1 million. It would eventually leg out to a disappointing $45 million worldwide on a $28 million budget. Coming in in fourth place was Free Willy, Fifth earning place. approximately $7.9 million in 1,476 screens. See, this is back during a time when, you know, if you were in the middle of a crowded summer season and you had films like The Firm and In Line of Fire and Jurassic Park hogging screens, you might have a theoretically big movie like Hocus Pocus and Free Willy only opening on around 1,500 theaters. Yeah. Hocus Pocus beat Free Willy opening week. Temporarily, uh, yes. Rare, but Free rare. Willy would <laughs> stick around for a very long time. It's almost like, like our opinions of Hocus Pocus match up to the world in 1993. <laughs> we were right then! <laughs> we were right! Dear God, we were right! And we were right about Last Action Hero, Aaron! We were right! Anyway. Which, yeah, <laughs> oh, here's yeah. a... F- but, 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 Free Willy. 1,476 theaters weekend one. Weekend two, it adds 461 theaters. Thanks to terrific word of mouth. I think it got an A-plus on cinema score, but don't quote oh, it me on that. Oh, it did. Yeah, it did. Yes. Uh, it jumped 10% in weekend two for an $8.6 million uh, second weekend. It would earn, it would drop just, it wouldn't drop below 30% uh, ever, ever, as far as I can find between now and October, mid-October. And it would eventually earn approximately uh, 77 million domestic and 153 million dollars worldwide on a 20 million dollar budget. Once again, movies made a shit ton of money back then because they didn't all cost 100 million dollars. And opening at seven million wasn't the end of the world. Yes. And today it'd be like, oh, it's done. Well, mostly. <laughs> Well, even then, most of the time, that was, you know, not a great opening. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't on a ton of theaters, and Warner Brothers knew what they were doing. They knew they had a a word, a a crowd-pleasing, word-of-mouth family hit. They knew Hocus Pocus was terrible. It was Um, the greatest show. It was the greatest show. It was the greatest show. Um, Uh, And they they, they were selling soundtracks, too. uh, Yes. Michael Jackson doing his part. That video, the music video was playing a lot. I remember seeing that music video all the time. Um, Did they have any like fast food place tie-ins for Free Willy? Long John Silver's, yes. Jesus (laughs) Christ. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Hold on. Free Willy kids meal at Long John (laughs) Silver's. Are you being serious or is that a joke? Eat a piece of killer whale with every meal. Oh my God. (laughs) Wait, wait, are you serious? I, I hope I... Hold on. I'm I'm checking this out. I will add this commercial. Oh my god, you're not kidding. I thought you were making a joke. Oh my god. Oh no way. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, I'm watching I'm watch this commercial with this woman trying to arouse me. Wait, what? Oh, here we go, here we go. And Oh, I'm sorry. Free Willy 2 had the tie-in. Go! Oh, but still, that's, that's, bad. that's awful. With every that is amazing. Sandwich, you get a, like, <laughs> of all the places, <laughs> of all 
<laughs> Come see Babe Big in the City and then have a great meal at Honey Baked Ham. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. This anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Smash that subscribe button. Uh, coming in sixth place was Sleepless in Seattle with 7.3 million, dropping just 28% in four seventy-two million dollar total after 28 days. Uh, Rookie of the Year made 6.6 million, uh, dropping just 27% for 25 million after 10 days. Son-in-law, solid legs for these pictures, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe because you don't have a juggernaut. That's you know, it's gonna be a while before we have a. In fact, I don't know if there is a juggernaut on the horizon offhand. <clears throat> the fugitive? Yeah, yeah, my mistake. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, anyway, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves with 3.5 million in ninth place. Dennis the Menace in 10th. What's Love got to do with it with 2.7 in 11th place? And oh no, Unforgiven is no longer in the top 20. What a shame. <laughs> Man, I just that last action hero, last action hero just fell off the face of the goddamn earth, like because it's terrible. It's just, it's just amusing. It's just like you know who's still kicking ass, Dennis the Menace. Yeah, switch place. Sam will not go. Made in America had a bigger impact. (laughs) Yeah, Made in America missed that one in the top ten. That was nice to see all the time. Dave, Dave is. You know, no, 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 last action hero is in 13th place, by the way, making a whopping right. $1 million in his fifth weekend. There we go. Right behind, right above, barely above Cliffhanger, which in his eighth weekend made $1.3 million. Wow. So wow. Stallone wins that round. Wow. That's the story that was July 16th, 18th, 1993. Uh, Poetic justice indeed. Wait yes. a minute. Well, Scott and Aaron, uh, appreciate you joining me as always. Before we sign out, let people know where they can keep up with you, Scott. TheRap.com and Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. He's got an Instagram account and he never uses it. Subscribe. This is true. It's I'll, totally fo- blank. Follow him. Follow him. If uh, you want, it'd be pretty boring. Oh. Uh, Aaron. You can find me at We Live Entertainment. Uh, where I write my movie reviews, and I'm on Wise to Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. I host the show Out Now with Aaron and Abe with my friend Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases. Always a lot of fun there. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All right, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon 4 kuhd written work at YSOBlue.com. Also, check out the YouTube channel where you can watch video. Ver- if you're listening to the podcast, there are video versions of these episodes with little extra trinkets in them, uh, if you like. And you can see Scott as he talks. As his camera functions, as sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. Um, he makes hand motions, everything else like that. And also there's other different contents that go on there as well. Um, next week, Aaron and I have another stakeout as things get wilder with Scott finding some poetic justice for the film adaptation of Coneheads. All that and more as the summer of 93 at 30 continues. <laughs> Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. 
Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of and News Themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.